Hey, welcome to the Bookish Life Podcast. I'm Sarah, the owner of Bookish here in Fort Smith, Arkansas. I'm Phil Blackburn, still not the owner of Bookish, <laughs> despite my best efforts Never. here in Fort Smith, Arkansas. And we're back, Sarah, we're hey, back. We're back. You are back from your vacation. I am. Welcome home. Thank you. And you upgraded the podcast last week. <laughs> we did. We went up a, a few steps You did. Week. You did. Aww. You had Jen on. That was great. I know. She's great. So I was glad she was able to do it so we could... You know, you don't want to hear me talk to myself, that's boring. So, anyway, so that worked out great. So, how was vacation? Did you have a good time? Lovely. It was, like, I think the warmest day was 88 degrees. So, it was very nice. Yeah. But now I'm back in the blast furnace of uh, western Arkansas. Yeah, I think most people who listen to our podcast are from here, so they know that it's been 104 Uh degrees for a gazillion years, it feels like. Um, So, we're all jealous of your 80s. Although, today's a beautiful overcast day. Yeah, come on. Come on, rain. Right, ready for it. Well, I was thinking about, I asked you if you've read anything new on vacation and you said no. The answer is still no. Um, but I was kind of thinking about how it, it is a thing in the bookstore world. Like when summer hits, you're like vacation reads, right? Yes. And you sort of think about things that people read on vacation. But the last few times I've gone on vacation, I really didn't read. So I wonder if like your life is spent reading. If when you go on mm-hmm. vacation, maybe you don't feel the need to read. Yeah, it's an interesting question. Like, I read the same amount. Is it it an interesting question? I think it is. Because, (laughs) like, I think reading is weird. Uh So, some, I think a lot of reading is aspirational, right? Like, when you go on vacation, you think, oh, this is great. Mm -hmm. Like, I've taken four books on vacation before and finished zero. Yeah. Like, but I think to myself, oh, this will be wonderful. I'm going to sit down. I'm going to read this book. Yeah. And then, uh, I don't. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, now I just read my normal way. My problem is my book's really long mm-hmm. that I'm reading. Uh, but I do think people have different vacation approaches. Like for you, mm-hmm. do you when you're on vacation, do you change your reading habits at all, or are you still reading for work? Yeah. I mean, I think I, I think I do. First of all, I haven't been on like a real vacation mm-hmm. in a very long time. But I did go visit Cade when he was in Orlando, uh-huh. right? And of course, that was Disney World, so we were mm-hmm. very busy. Mm-hmm. And I went with my sister, so we were up at the crack of dawn, mm-hmm. and we didn't get to bed till late, mm-hmm. so I didn't like have my morning mm-hmm. reading routine. Yeah. Um, but we did fly, so I had some airplane mm-hmm. reading time. Um, it just kind of depends. Like it, it, It's been a long time since I've just been able to sit somewhere else on the beach mm-hmm. or in a cabin or whatever mm-hmm. and read. Yeah. Because um, most of my vacations are go, 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 go. Like, I don't like go, go, go vacations. So I always, almost always yeah. have the opportunity to do more reading. Mm-hmm. But I find I just kind of sit there. Yeah. <laughs> and still just read before bed like I normally do. Yeah. Which, you know, it's nice. Yeah. But... Did, for those of you, quick aside, mm-hmm. if you're not a big Disney person, highly recommend Swamplandia. Oh, yeah. I can't remember who. Do you remember who wrote that? Um, this no, is this is great really. podcasting. This is what we always do. Yeah. Like, I think we've Googled something on every single podcast. <laughs> but anyway, if you would like kind of a very uh, satirical takedown of Disney. Karen Russell. Karen Russell's Swamplandia. Highly recommend. She came out with something else kind of recently mm-hmm. that we talked about. Um, and you brought up Swamplandia. Also, apologies to my husband who edits our podcast for the construction. Oh, yeah. So, Sorry about that, Matthew, and I don't think anybody else will care, but that. <laughs> All right, let's get into it. That's okay. enough, enough chit-chat. You're not yeah. Jennifer. We're not That's supposed right. to gab like no, that. No, no. All right, so Phil, you said you haven't read anything new. Yep. Anything interesting going on in, in your boring book? In my, sur- in my survey of uh, Douglas MacArthur, 
It's it's a great book. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm almost done. I've read 800 pages. Like usually when I see a book that long, mm -hmm. I ask myself real hard questions about am I 800 pages interested in yeah. this subject? The answer for me, especially when it's written by William Manchester, is a hard yes. Okay. Um, so there's a whole bunch, you know, you and I are the same age. Uh, I know about the Korean War, but not much. We didn't really learn about it in school. Um, I had no idea. Like if you are a fan of the fact that Japan is a democracy, mm -hmm. you have Douglas MacArthur to thank for that one. Okay. Japan would not be the kind of country that it is, at least from Manchester's perspective, without Doug. And I had no idea. Well, I had no idea. I didn't know so that anyway, um, but I, I, I most of my Korean War knowledge recently has come from Pachinko. Mm -hmm. I don't so, know that book. Oh, Min Lee. Yeah, it was mm -hmm. really good. But it's yep. another. It's a good. Mm -hmm. It's not eight hundred pages, but mm -hmm. close. Yep. And it's a HBO series now too for fiction folks. One of the pitches I'll make for this, and then we'll move on. Manchester doesn't spend a lot of time on military minutia, so even though he's dealing with a general, you don't get a lot of like. It's more about the personality of the general and the politics of his era. Okay. So, like, he moves through battles and and campaigns very quickly. And then, so most of the Korean section is about his relationship with President Truman. It's mm -hmm. not about his military decisions. So it's really a character study, not, uh, cool. not a, a military minutia book. I'm going to stop hitting the desk now. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, you can tell we haven't done this together for a yeah. minute. No, I'm just kidding. Um, well, so I was going to talk about the David Sedaris book, Happy mm -hmm. Go Lucky, yes. his newest book. Mm -hmm. I even got online today to see if he was touring anywhere close because I've yet to see him in person. I have seen him. So sad. But you've read the book too, mm -hmm. so we can yes. kind of talk about this mm -hmm. together. Mm -hmm. But um, at this point in my um, life, <laughs> my reading David Sedaris, I feel like I know him very well. Mm -hmm. and I know all of the members of mm -hmm. his family. And mm -hmm. I'm kind of, you know, like a distant cousin. Um, I love this book. He, he sort of tackles COVID and mm -hmm. how he dealt with that. And um, I think it's also kind of a book about grief Yes. Um, in an interesting way because he deals with the loss of his father. Mm -hmm. um, they didn't have, a, you know, butterflies and rainbows type no. of relationship. So that was, I think, really interesting. Of course, he does it with humor, but also mm -hmm. great tact. And, mm -hmm. um, and then it's also kind of a love letter, I think, to his sister, Amy, mm -hmm. who yeah. I also adore. Um, I love the, the essay where, you know, he talks about them shopping all over the world and um, just how much he admires her. Um, then there's the gross um, butt stuff, but, you know, there's yeah, always a little Yeah, there's always something like that. Like, I love it. So, I've <laughs> so I read that book and um, a couple things about it. So if you have a challenging relationship with a parent, mm -hmm. I think it, I think you'll find it interesting yeah. um, as somebody who has a a different type of challenging relationship with his father. Uh, I found that it, 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 I thought through what my experience of that might yeah. be like, um, of a father's death. Mm -hmm. Um, and so the way and having Sedaris do it, it is lighter, mm -hmm. you know, you don't have to like go deep down the grief yeah. hole to, to engage that. Another thing I thought was great in this, and I can't remember how much he does it in other books is the details of his relationship with Hugh. Mm -hmm. Um, oh, yeah. so in COVID, You're right. you felt they, yeah, they, okay. because they were hardly ever together. David's mm -hmm. touring all the time, you know, and so then they're stuck together. So, uh, we'll set conversations about economics aside. They bought the apartment above them so that they wouldn't have to be together all the time, yeah. which I thought was hilarious. Yeah. Um, you know, there's some, it, there's so much mythology around what a long-term relationship should look like yeah. versus what 
it needs to look like. Uh, I thought the little insights into the, his relationship with Hugh were great yeah. in this book. And and I, because they've been together, what, 30 years or something yeah. like that? And anyway. I love how, I just love sort of getting Hugh's voice that we mm-hmm. really never did before. But mm-hmm. you would hear things he would say to him. Well, mm-hmm. Quips and gripes yes. and complaints, and you're like, oh my gosh. The, but Amy also bought the apartment above her. Oh, did she? Yeah, she that's right. She did. Yes, that's for the <laughs> rabbit. Yes, yes. So, yeah. And if you want, like, to me, the the funniest part of the book was the um, address he gave to the graduates at Oberlin. Oh yeah. Um, and what was the comment he made about the Taliban in that address? Oh, like, if you're getting closer to the Taliban. We're supposed to be doing things less like yeah. the Taliban, uh, I think was what he said yeah, in the address, like which I, again, I, I thought that was the, so if you're looking for classic Sedaris humor, that's the chapter yeah. uh, that that I, I found the most classic. The rest, he's processing so much family stuff mm-hmm. and COVID. It is a bit of an outlier mm-hmm. to his other stuff. Yeah, for my he still does it with, with humor yes. and grace though. I just, yes. um, the way that he can be so profoundly, in his humanity, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. also make you laugh, I think is just an art. Yes. So I, I adore David Sedaris. Mm-hmm. So I wish I would have brought something of history, but I didn't. What did you bring to read? Well, so we just finished a book for book club, which is Friday, and mm-hmm. um, we haven't talked about it yet, mm-hmm. but I'm hearing whispers that most people don't like it. Oh. But it's, I think you would. Phil. Okay. I mean, I would kind of like to hear your take. But okay. it's a book called The Men by Sandra Newman, and the premise is. Um, Oh, it's definitely dystopian, mm-hmm. and I, I got, like, 1984 vibes. Mm-hmm. Not that it's anything like 1984, but the way you feel when you're reading about this new world where people are creating new philosophies mm-hmm. and ideas, it's sort of that vibe. But the premise is um, the main character wakes up one day, and every body with a Y chromosome disappears. And so what does the world look like? With no men. No men. And it's dystopian, not utopian. Right? I know. This is heartening for me. <laughs> right? I mean, there were definitely some parties that... Mm-hmm. <laughs> relief mm-hmm. for a lot of people. But so I thought I would read... Um, because I really thought that her writing was, was good. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't... I mean, there's a lot of things I didn't like either. But again, I think that for this particular genre, um, Newman did what, what she set out to do. I also did do some research on her and listened to a couple of podcasts, but she's working on a feminist retelling of 1984. Oh, so okay. She's definitely mm-hmm. in this world, and she's read a lot of sort of feminine dystopian mm-hmm. stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so she's she knows her stuff. But um, So I'm just going to read the first little bit where the men disappear. Okay. When the men disappeared, it felt like nothing. I was camping in the mountains of Northern California with my husband and my son. It was dusk, and the sky was all one color, grayish violet, silken, dim. The lime green leaves of the alder above me were trembling and luminous, brighter than the sky. In the tent, my husband Leo was reading on an iPad and letting our five-year-old, Benjamin, who had night terrors, fall asleep against him. Through the tent's mesh window, I could make out the iPad's light. I was lying in a hammock, putting off joining them. It was August, hot even up here in the mountains, and I had an idea about watching the stars come out and feeling wild and solitary, bound to no one. I wanted to indulge my fantasies of escape, of being a prima ballerina in Japan, or sailing solo around the world, fantasies in which I'd never married and had my whole life free. Still, I felt my husband and son there, and loved that they were there. I was in love with them. I didn't want to be single and childless. I wanted to fantasize about it with them here. 
I wasn't worried by their long silence. There had been times I was frightened in the world, bad times. This was not a bad time, and I was happy. At 7.14, an intense nothing happened, an elation that wasn't of the nerves or the brain. I would later recall it as being like drugs. When it passed, I felt Leo and Benjamin were gone, but quickly dismissed the idea as foolish. Mood swings were normal for me and often accompanied by bizarre ideas. I looked to the tent and saw the tablet's light, a, vivifi a vivified spot. I didn't call out. I didn't want to wake Benjamin. I went back to my thoughts. At about 8 o'clock, I fell asleep. Down the mountain in the world of people, women were already calling the police. They were running through their houses, screaming names. They were pounding on neighbors' doors for help and finding their neighbors running through their houses, screaming names. They were driving to police stations and discovering them lit and empty with the doors left open. Small aircraft were falling out of the sky. I went to sleep on the mountain while the world fell apart. I slept right through till sunrise. Yeah. So <laughs> she gets right to it. Yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. at the beginning. And then kind of we get the after effects there, but... I don't know. What did you think of that little passage? How did you kind of make you feel, Phil? <laughs> How did it make me feel? I thought she did. So, disclaimer here, I am not a woman. Mm. So I can only talk about this from the male perspective, Sarah. Sure. Uh, but I felt like she vocalized the kind of um, conundrum that many women, and I think men too, uh, experience of... On one hand, domestication is is joyful. On the other hand, domestication is confining. Mm -hmm. And so I, I, I think that's a thing mm -hmm. for a lot of people. Uh, as we talked about, you know, David Sedaris needing his extra yeah. apartment, there's a lot of vibes of the same idea, mm -hmm. uh, having not read the book there. Mm -hmm. So so I, I, I thought that was interesting. Um, I think the initial reaction is, like, I, I deal with magical realism like, does it make sense in the world of the book? Mm -hmm. I think that makes sense. I think the initial reaction will be like, oh no. Yeah. Um, so I think that's right. Yeah. I don't, I think the fact that she didn't say that this was met with silence or was met with, you know, there's no sense of jubilation. Mm -hmm. There's no sense of uh, release mm -hmm. at this point. It's just terror. Yeah. And I think that is, that was good mm -hmm. um, because I wouldn't have believed that's what I believe that. Yeah. So anyway, those are my those are my quickest thoughts. She slept through most of it. Yes. Like she didn't see it happen. Yes. Like disappear from her arms or anything like that. Like yes. That was pretty clever, but I do love that she just slept mm -hmm. through it and then woke up and was like had to mm -hmm. had to deal with the aftermath. Mm -hmm. So why did you pick that passage? Um. Well, because I I, I like the idea of her just kind of being camping. Mm -hmm. I like it. Kind of ends in a similar scene. Mm -hmm. Um. And just sitting in the hammock and thinking of all the things she could have done. And I, I definitely like the line of, um, I wanted them to think of my mm -hmm. dream of my fantasies mm -hmm. alongside mm -hmm. me, like with me. I thought that was, mm -hmm. I don't know, yep. it did. It captured yep. a lot of conflict, I think. that. So uh, George Saunders, who mm -hmm. you know I like, uh, and A Swim in a Pond in the Rain is just yeah. brilliant, if you've never read that. He talks a lot about choices. Um, and I've been thinking about that as a pastor more when I read scriptures, like, these are choices, like authorial choices. Wherever you uh, delegate the authorial intent in Scripture depends on your faith, but they're choices. So why do you think, do you have a thought on why she chose camping? Having read the whole book, that's she makes a clear choice. That's a clear choice. She doesn't put her heroine in a town or a city or an apartment or a house. She doesn't put her on an airplane, a boat, doesn't put her with her, fam with her extended family. It's her 
It's her nuclear family. It's a small family. Why doesn't she have a daughter? Like, what do you see any 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 thoughts? Well, do you have any thoughts about the choices? We we definitely get background on like her family, mm-hmm. um, so we know why she's not with them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, no, I think the camping is interesting because it's not like she has a you know history of being an outdoorsman mm-hmm. or anything. Um, I, I think it's it was probably easier if this is going to be our main character and the lens through which we see this through to um, tell us about this world after it's kind of, after the dust has sort of settled uh-huh. and she comes down from the mountain mm-hmm. and is able to see what everyone's doing instead of it being an immediate reaction. Because mm-hmm. that would be hard to, hard to do, I mm-hmm. think. Is there significance in the fact that she has chosen to separate? So she talks about the, the dichotomy of, of wanting to be free and be a ballerina, but also loving her husband and son. Mm-hmm. But as she's thinking that she's chosen to be apart from them, Mm-hmm. Is there is that significant to it the is, yeah. okay so yeah, yeah. It's, I thought it was a really interesting book and I can't wait to see uh, there was certainly some I think there's some race stuff that mm-hmm. happens here um, because one of the women who runs for president who has ties to our main character is a black woman mm-hmm. um, who was released from prison and she has an interesting actually her story was really interesting um, and then we have um, obviously some dr- trans people. Mm-hmm. Um, that that Newman doesn't leave out, but mm-hmm. sort of handles. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. There's there's a lot of stuff going on here, um, but I think that um, in the end, it's a, definitely a book worth talking about. Mm-hmm. And I can't wait for Friday night to see what everyone else thinks. If I'm if I'm thinking of picking this up, mm-hmm. is is it more about men and their effect on women, or is it more about women? No, I think it's more about society. Uh-huh. Um, I, you know how whenever you read dystopian, you're always sort of thinking like, what are they saying about the mm-hmm. current world? Um, and it felt very COVID-y to me. Mm-hmm. It felt very like, um, this is what happened when COVID hit, and this is what we thought it was going to be like, and this is sort of how we ended up handling mm-hmm. certain issues. Um, that's kind of what I got from it. So it's more societal. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But, I mean, I don't, I don't think she has one way of saying, like, men are better than the other. Mm-hmm. Men are better than women. Women are better than men. So it's not necessarily women. about, like, patriarchy, make, matriarchy. No. It's about kind of the structure of society and mm-hmm. it, itself. Yes. And I assume we're talking Western society yeah. here. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Anyway, yeah. So recommend? Do you recommend? Who should read this book? I do. I think if dystopian fiction is something that you enjoy, because mm-hmm. it's not something I typically pick up. Mm-hmm. It's kind of hard for me sometimes to, to deal with all of the newness of a world that I can't quite imagine. Um, But for some people, they love that and it's really good for them. But I like to try to, I have to, I'm constantly trying to connect it to something I understand. Mm -hmm. So I feel feel like it takes me a while to, to get it. But I I think, like I said, she's a good writer. Um, I think that some of the things that she brings up, that the relationships that we see are interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, if you like dystopian fiction, pick it up. Mm -hmm. Okay. Man or woman. Man or woman. Great. Yep. Okay, so we're, gosh, we're going long today, but let's talk about what's coming out this week. Yeah. Um, so this week being August 2nd, next week, actually. <laughs> um, the first one is, I hope I did this, oh yeah, The Book Eaters. Mm-hmm. There it is. Um, and that, yeah, it's coming out August 2nd um, by Sunni Dean. And this is getting a whole lot of buzz. I brought, I have an arc for you, Phil. Mm-hmm. Still look oh, look good. at that fun cover. That is a beautiful cover. Yeah, so it's like the house is made out of pages. We should put that on the pages. Facebook page. Oh, we should. Um, so this is the story of um, 
uh, Devon, and this is that takes place in the Yorkshire Moors. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a secret line of people who eat books. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm just gonna read this. So to them, spy novels are a peppery snack. Romance novels are sweet and delicious. Eating a map can help them remember destinations and children when they misbehave. Um, when they misbehave, they are forced to eat dry, musty pages from dictionaries. So Devon is the part of a family, an old and reclusive clan of book eaters. Her brothers grow up feasting on stories of valor and adventure. Um, but Devon, like other book eater women, is raised on a carefully curated diet of fairy tales and cautionary stories. <laughs> but real life doesn't always come with happy endings. Devon learns when her son is born with a rare and darker kind of hunger. Not for books, but for human minds. Oh, no. Oh. So he's going to eat brains, Sarah. Yeah, he's a zombie. Oh, my. Um, but lots of um, people that I like have said really good things about mm-hmm. this book. So, um, And I've seen it all over Book Talk and mm-hmm. Instagram, so I think it'll be a big one. Um, the other one, there's two more. Um, the Many Daughters of Afong Moy. Um, this starts out, Dorothy Moy breaks her own heart for a living. As Washington's former poet laureate, that's how she describes channeling her disassociative episodes and mental health struggles into her art. But when her five-year-old daughter exhibits similar behavior and begins remembering things from the lives of their ancestors, Dorothy believes the past has truly come to haunt her. Fearing that her child is predestined... That's all I got. <laughs> didn't, didn't print off that other one. Um, but that's also an indie next pick. Mm-hmm. So a lot of independent booksellers have mm-hmm. already read this book and talked about how great that is. And um, that's by Jamie Ford. Fiction. Yes, yep. fiction. And then the last one is Anthony Mara, Mercury Pictures Presents. Mm-hmm. And this is another kind of ho- love letter to Hollywood, mm-hmm. I would think. Um, Maria Lenga, mm-hmm. Lagana, sorry, is writing scripts for... Mercury Pictures, a failing Hollywood studio known for its schlock. Um, Maria's job is to recraft dialogue and action to circumvent the censors, a skill she's mysteriously adept at. Born in Italy as a teenager, Maria witnessed Mussolini's censors arrest her father, an event that will destroy her family and burden Maria with questions of guilt and responsibility she will carry with her throughout this wondrous, far-reaching novel. Um, so it does lead up to um, World War II, mm-hmm. I think, so it's a bit mm-hmm. of a historical fiction okay. piece that uh, Mercury Pictures presents by Anthony Morris. So well, that sounds fun. Three books that I'm mm-hmm. super excited about. There's one other YA called, uh, how do you say that? Cyclorama? Cyc- Cyclorama? Cyclorama. Yeah. Um, which is the story, it reminded me of Trust Exercise mm-hmm. by Susan Choi that came out a couple of years ago, but it's set in the 80s in the small town Illinois. And the group of young people are cast to play the Diary of Anne Frank. Mm-hmm. And sort of through this, it sort of changes their life. And then it kind of flashes forward to present day. And you just sort of see what they're all doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and the secret is uncovered. I thought it was going to be like the, the play itself affected their life. Mm-hmm. But I think that there was something sinister that maybe oh, happened yeah. in the 80s that they're all kind of reeling with. But um, And that's, a, I think it's YA. And okay. So... I was distracted momentarily because a man walked by outside the window with oh. a Pokemon stuffed animal wrapped around his head. Uh, yeah. So that happened. Not a hat, Sarah. I get it. Like the actual, yeah. yeah. Downtown Fort Smith. Yeah. yeah. Love yeah, it. All are welcome. Yeah, that's right. All right. Well, anything else we need to talk about? I mean, you know, if you need a cure for insomnia, call me and I'll tell you about Douglas MacArthur. <laughs> okay. <laughs> No, I think that's it. So we'll do this again next week. You have something new in the works for maybe next week? Yes, I'm going to read the book uh, Joan, and I can't remember the author's name, so well prepared by me. Um, 
but it's a it's a historical fiction novel about Joan of Arc. You have a week to figure it out. Yeah, so hopefully I'll have more information than that by the yeah. next time we convene. Very good. And so we're wrapping up our um, July mm-hmm. here at Bookish, and we're moving into August, which mm-hmm. is always a fun month. School start. We've already got mm-hmm. some school orders coming in. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to have um, our next foodie book club is August 15th. Yeah. We're a foodie. Um, grab a copy of Half-Baked Harvest every day and come come join us. Um, and we're going to read Acne, which I talked about a couple weeks ago. Oh, yes. And um, that's going to be our uh-huh. August book club pick. It's a memoir. So Okay. Um, yeah. Great. So be sure to like and uh, rate our podcast yeah. if you're enjoying it. Give us five stars and then complain. And then that's right. That's right. Or give us one and we'll be super <laughs> no, defensive in the reply. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Okay. Uh, thanks. Guys, thanks, Bill. Yeah, good. Bye, everybody.